Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. Well, it is that time of the night when we have an interesting guest. And it's always good to speak to someone who has written a book about their life because you just don't do that unless you have a story to tell. And at the age of 12, Pat Sheedy placed his first bet, 10 pence, a bet, and concocted his first scam. This marked the beginning of his descent into compulsive gambling addiction that would lead to close to 100 criminal convictions, over a million euros squandered on bets and served time in some of Ireland's most unforgiving prisons. Now, almost four decades later, Pat Sheedy has, against all the odds, got his life back on track, taken control of his addiction and has a book out. And it's called 100 to 1, which tells his story. And he joins me on the line. Pat, good evening to you. How are you doing? I'm good now, thank you. Good. I believe it's a little bit past your bedtime, so I hope <laughs> I hope I, do, <laughs> hope, I hope we don't all nod off during. But anyway, but it's wonderful to talk to you because I got. I'm intrigued by your story, absolutely intrigued by your story, and I want to go back to when you were 12. By the way, till your for, to your first bet. Do you remember that day, like it was yesterday? Uh, I, I I suppose I'll always remember it for probably the wrong reasons. Um. Mm. I remember the, I remember the thrill I got from it. I remember the, the buzz I got from, the whole environment. I suppose of being in a betting shop back then. Yeah. Mm. You don't remember the horse's name, <laughs> wasn't that? It just no, not that, no, that, that no. memory. But did you win? Did you win? Uh, kind of two pronged. I suppose the first time I went into a bookies was to place a bet for my dad, and that was when I was twelve. Yeah. Um. I think we've all done that. My dad used to send me over for the Grand yeah. National. Yeah, yeah. yeah but, uh, I came up, I suppose, with probably my first harebrained scam back then. And I'm sure you probably remember back then when you go into a, a betting shop to write out a bet, you do it on a, a notepad that would have a sheet of blotting paper underneath it and you get a carbon copy of the bet that you did. So That's right, yeah. My, yeah. Dad, my dad gave me 30 pence to put on a bet for him and... I came up with the ingenious idea that I'd only do the bet for 10 pence and change the amount on the blotting sheet so he wouldn't know the difference. Oh, well, very clever. Uh, yeah. That would be easy enough to do know, as well. Yeah, it would be. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it would have been ingenious if the three horses didn't actually win on that day. And when he went to collect his money, he only got a third of the winnings. And right. There afterwards. Right. Um, I suppose that was my first kind of sortie into a, a betting shop. And after that, a couple of years later, I... 1984, I think it was. I was just touching age 15, and I put I placed my first real kind of bet that I can remember. You know, it was a 50 pence accumulator bet, which is you pick four horses, yeah, all win. of them have to win. Yeah, but if they do, the prices multiply and accumulate, etc., etc. So mm-hmm. uh, the bet I did, actually, all of them won um, through pure chance rather than skill, and I got fifty-one pounds back off it, which in nineteen eighty-four for a fifteen-year-old kid was a lot of money. Unheard of yeah. money, you know. Yeah. So yeah, so there and there. it spiraled from yeah, there yeah. and out of control um, to a point, and pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and and in the height of it, I suppose you know, I suppose when it was, you know, when you were obviously, I'm assuming at some point you were losing thousands. Um, and spending thousands and losing thousands or gaining thousands every now and again. I mean, there's obviously with betting, yeah. as you rightly said, there is no skill to it, although some people claim there is. Uh, it, a lot of it's just based on pure luck, and that's all it is. 
um, just like doing yeah. the lotto or anything else that, that you do to gamble. I mean, what else were you gambling on? Was it just horses, football matches, or was it, you know, two ants walking across a table? Was it, was it just well, initially, initially, it would have been just horses and greyhounds, um, things that you could bet on in a betting shop. But as I suppose everything evolves and everything grows, and I suppose the betting industry evolved and grew, and nowadays you can pretty much put a bet on anything that you want. I mean, literally anything. Mm-hmm. Um, my, ga- my gambling would have been on horses, greyhounds, sports events mostly. Yeah. Um, but, you know. What was the most you lost in one day? Can you remember? Uh, I, I can't, and that's been honest. And, and it's, it's, it's all relative to addiction, mm. to be honest yeah. with you. It, it, it really doesn't matter how much you win or you lose because it, it's all relevant to the individual. Like if you could afford, if you could afford, if you couldn't afford to lose a tenner and you lost a tenner, that's big trouble. Yeah. If you could afford to lose two grand, it mightn't be as much. You know, it's, it's, I understand. Yeah, it's all relative. Yeah, of course. It's, 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 it is all relative. Now, I, I did go through days where, like, uh, towards the end, or, you know, not towards the end even, but I, I would have often had maybe three grand in my pocket on five o'clock on a Friday because I would have had a very well-paid job that would have operated on commissions and bonuses and things like that. And, you know, I, I could have been paid at five o'clock and... Come seven o'clock, I'd be borrowing money for petrol in the car. Wow. Um, and then there was the odd time where I turned that two or three grand into maybe ten and be walking on water for a couple of days. But you know, obviously that was like that would last long. Yeah, but that wouldn't last long. That would all go back a, a few oh, days no, later. Yeah, within within, day, within days. Yeah, within yeah. days. And, and it mentions here as well, obviously, that you had close to 100 criminal convictions. So how did you end up with the criminal convictions? Were you, were you stealing to bet? Yeah, I was. And just want to clarify, there, there wasn't nearly 100 criminal convictions. There was 100 convictions almost, and maybe maybe 30 or 40 of those were for parking offences or speeding tickets oh, okay. or whatever the case. All right, okay. That's so in other words, because you, because you didn't pay them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. And that's that's not minimizing the fact that I did a lot of damage to mm. to people that I stole money from over the years and did a lot to myself and did a lot to family, friends. Yeah. Uh yeah. And you know, as as the addiction grew in me, so did the amount of scams that I pulled or yeah. ways that I, I went about getting money. You know, and you also went. You, you also went to jail, of course. You know, as well. Eventually, eventually, and, yeah. And did whilst you were in jail, you know, sitting there drowning your sorrows, thinking about your life and everything else, did that not stop you then at that point? Well, the jail came at the very end. Um, like I, I'd had a couple of scrapes with the law where I, I kind of danced very close to getting to jail and stuff like that. And there was always something that I dreaded, but. Eventually, when the day came in 2020, I knew it was coming and that there was nothing I could do about it when it did. And thankfully, when I went into prison, I was able to, I was able to get help that I needed. I was able to, you know, take stock of what was going on with me because, you know, I had a period where I knew I wasn't going to be going anywhere for three years. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I got lucky. I, I got really lucky in prison, I suppose, in insofar as I was able to. I was able to avail of services that were there for me. I, I worked very closely with an addiction counsellor that worked with me like no other addiction counsellor I had before. She made me look at things that I needed to look at. 
the reasons why I behaved the way I did, the reasons why I gambled, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there was also the educational aspect of it. I I I went back to school in prison. I I took a, a degree, uh, an open university degree in English literature and creative writing, and I did some great work in in Portlaoise prison with a with a teacher there called Shauna Gilligan who helped me write the book who you know who went mm-hmm. through a lot of stuff with me and you know it was a very cathartic experience and one that will stay with me for the rest of my life you know? mm-hmm. and I suppose when you're talking to an addiction counsellor I suppose the one reason most people would give when it comes to gambling in particular the gambling addiction is you know you even talk about that you know the elusive big win you're always in pursuit of that big win and it doesn't matter whether you do get a big win because you believe the next one's going to be bigger so there's always oh, that yeah. theory. It's like people buying a lottery ticket. They think they're going to be one in those. That's a, well, what, what's the Euro millions? One in thirty-six million chance of winning the jackpot. But you think it's going to yeah. be you because the ad tells you it's going to be you. By the way, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> so you think it's going to be you, uh, and you're always in search of that. And uh, but the, when you're realistic and logical, I'm assuming that's what they, the counselors talk about. But I imagine in jail, it's a bit easier because you're cold turkey. And I'm, I'm assuming you can't bet in jail. Well, maybe you can bet in jail. I don't know. You can bet anywhere you want, whenever you want, trust me. Mm. Um, I mightn't have had access to a phone or to be able to go into a betting shop. But if I wanted to gamble in prison, I could have. Yeah, there's always somebody willing to, to put a few or take of a few bit. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, you can you can gamble on anything. You can bet on anything, anywhere, um, yeah. anytime. Quite literally. Yeah. yeah. I can imagine the bets that are going on in jail as well. I bet you Mick and Cell Nine doesn't get out till tomorrow, I bet you. <laughs> um but, well, but yeah. if you if that's needs be. But when when you when you have a gambling addiction, is it is that the same obviously the physical addiction is not there like alcohol or like cigarette smoking or drugs or whatever it is, but it's a psychological addiction to gambling. Does that make it any easier to rid yourself of that problem? Makes it harder if anything. Um mm. And again, I, I, I can only speak for myself. You know, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I, I have, I've been around addiction the bones of 40 years. I've studied it. I've worked in it. I've been a slave to it. I, I, there's very little about it that I don't know. And, you know, to me, gambling is the most insidious of, of all the addictions insofar as it will take more from you in a much quicker space of time. Um, it will literally you clean of everything you have from a possessions point of view from a financial point of view from a relationships point of view and from self-esteem point of view it will do it an awful lot quicker than a drink or drug addiction with I suppose a with, of- with a drink addiction if you're say married for example you know what a wife can be supportive and help you get through the tougher times and, you know, and forgive you every now and again when you fall back off the wagon. But with a gambling addiction, you know, and I've had people on the air in the past, I remember one man going back about six, seven years ago who basically spent the mortgage and they lost their house. Um, and that's the ultimate, isn't it? It's the ultimate betrayal of your family. I, and the same guy actually told me on Christmas Day, he took the kids Santa toys and sold them to get money yeah. for gambling. Yeah. Nothing you could tell me would surprise me, mm-hmm. you know, nothing. And that's where, that is where gambling brings you, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you do genuinely think that, okay, as long as I can get that next bet on, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to win. 
and that's your mentality and that's the way your brain is wired and it just doesn't work that way but when it gets a hold of you it, it gets a hold of you and it's 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 really 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 hard to it's a really hard thing to admit to yourself that you have a problem um because arrogance is a huge character defect in in most mm. compulsive gamblers and yeah you believe there's I, a weakness I, if you admit it as a weakness so not even not even that you think you're cleverer than it you know you think yeah. you can beat it you think you know more than you know and you don't you know you don't and i i'd be I would consider myself to be a pretty intelligent guy in a lot of ways. I'm well educated. I, you know, there isn't much that passed me by, but I was completely and utterly deluded when it comes to when it comes to gambling. Absolutely, completely owned by it. Can I ask you a question, Pat? When you hear ads on the the radio or television for different types of gambling or whatever it is, or Paddy Powers or uh, the National Lottery or whatever it is, and you hear at the end, you know. Like the drink aware, you know, you hear this kind of gamble responsibly, this kind of advice to gamble responsibly. Do you believe there is such thing as responsible gambling? I do, I suppose. Um, it'd be unfair of me to say that I don't. Um, I can, I can take or leave a drink. I never took a drug in my life, you know. I, I, and and those would be my thing. So I mean, if if I was told that I couldn't drink a pint ever again. I suppose I'd get offence or I'd get my back up about it. A lot of people can gamble and enjoy it and that's the reality of it. But there are a growing number of people that can't and my issue with the advertising is it's 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 it targets people who are vulnerable and if it targets one person that's vulnerable it shouldn't be allowed to be aired as far as I'm concerned. The content of it needs to But change. isn't that the purpose right. of advertising? And I'll take the National Lottery, for example. You know, you know the fancy advertising with the person who wins yeah. had the private jet plane and buys his own island yeah. and invites all his friends. And you're thinking, yeah. and, and the tagline is, it could be you. But isn't, yeah. isn't that the, that's what advertising does? The same as those colourful fancy ads at night for, you know, Foxes or Best 231 or whatever the hell it is. You know, these Ant and Deck are doing them and all these celebrities doing yeah. these, you know? Well, to be, to be fair to the National Lottery, I guess, they do have pretty stringent controls in place with regard to how much you can wager online um, in relation to to the lotteries and things like that. Um, otherwise, every every broadcasting or media organisation out there today, as far as I'm concerned, has a responsibility to look at what they're doing and to look at where they're taking their revenue from. Like, I'm, I'm not being picky here, but... When I was waiting to come online with you, I, I turned on Classic Hits just to listen to you in the build-up to this, and the first thing I heard was a 30-second ad for a betting company before I got to listen to you. Which is quite ironic. And that, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and, that, and that's everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. Um, they, own, they own as much of the airwaves as they possibly can. And that's because they, they have the money, but they have the money to do exactly. it. Exactly. So why? But, but they have a monopoly then, and mm-hmm. that's wrong because they're using... They're using their gains, and I'm not saying they're ill-gotten gains, but there's a lot of them immoral, and they're using those gains to just continually hammer home the the the, the advantage that they have. You know, the inducements that they offer people with problems, 
Do you think? Long. Do you think the advertising should be banned? I mean, I know we brought in legislation around cigarette advertising, alcohol advertising up to a certain point or before a certain point of the day. Um, do you believe that there should be regulations, more regulations around, you know, those ads that you would hear, just like you just said you heard now in classic hits, um, you know, I for for, um, um, gas, for gambling companies? I do, and I'm pretty sure in the very not-too-distant future you'll find that there will be because there's a gambling regulator in place. The bill is in front of the doll at an advanced stage waiting to be passed. Yep. I've, spoke, I've spoken to the, to the regulator. Um, she's a very clued-in woman. She's got a, a very targeted mindset, shall we say, as to what needs to be done. And the good thing is she's prepared to engage with people like me who have lived experience in it to try and, and advance the thing. Um, because without speaking to people with lived experience of any problem, you're never going to get to the core of it. You can pay researchers all you want. You can pay researchers huge money to come up with fancy reports and the statistics that come across in those reports are never quite accurate. And the reason they're not accurate is because they don't engage with people with lived experience. And until they do that fully, you won't get a full idea, you won't get the full picture uh, of what happens and what it is that's causing the problem. But thankfully and hopefully that when this bill does get passed, and I'm sure that the big betting companies like big oil companies will just do whatever they can to try and block it because they have the money to do it, but eventually it will get passed. And when it does, I think you'll see a lot more awareness of gambling's bad points, which needs to be seen. There needs to be education in schools for transitioning your students. They need to learn at an early age because now kids age 13 and 14 are gambling on fantasy football leagues in school. Um, they identify sport by the odds in a match now. Um, you know, they know Liverpool are probably going to win because Mo Salah is 3-1 to score a goal or whatever the case may be. That's the way small kids are talking. I hear it myself, you know, and that's shocking. That is absolutely shocking that they identify sport and that they identify something that should be a really enjoyable pastime with, with, with gambling. Oh, ne- well, nearly a quarter of people, they say one in 30 people, have a gambling addiction. That was a story that was in the paper during the year, I remember. Uh, it was covered quite extensively, which shocked me, by the way. And anywhere between 5 and 10 billion is spent by Irish gamblers on a year, a yearly basis, depending uh-huh. on regulated and unregulated gambling. Uh, because we know how much unregulated gambling there is in this country too, particularly in rural Ireland. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those figures are quite shocking when you think about a small country with a population of 5.1 million people and that we spend minimal, minimal unregulated gambling, 5.5 billion euro. It's yeah. an incredible amount of money. It is. It is. So the sooner the sooner the regulators, the sooner the regulator gets to do her job and the sooner the bill clears and passes the doll, the better it will be for everyone. And the, the industry is trying to, you know, cry foul and say that, oh, you, you're not allowing us to advertise our products even on racing channels, etc., etc. Why do they need to do that? You know, See, I, I suppose their argument million. is, you know, we can't be blamed for the alcohol, like a pub can't be blamed for the alcoholic, so why are you blaming us for the gambler? You know what I mean? So we, we don't tell them, well, we do have regulations around certain people who are drunk, for example. But, you know, we don't have regulations around, you know, drink the way the they want to bring in regulations around gambling. By the way, and I completely agree with you, Pat, because obviously yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, gamble. even in the height, even in the height of, even in the height of cigarette out and tobacco advertising, bad and all as that was, 
tobacco companies weren't offering you free tobacco through ads. You know, they weren't doing that. Um, drinks companies aren't offering you 10 free drinks for everyone you and buy. And by the way, we brought in legislation to stop that. The happy hours were stopped and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, these kind of promotions need to stop because they're misleading. Uh, you know, put on 10 pounds, or put on 10 euros, get 100 in free bets. And then comes the small print, and then comes the countless tens that you put on trying to chase the ten you've lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 just dirty and insidious, and it needs to be controlled. It but the, but the online gambling, I think, has made matters a lot worse over the last fifteen years or twenty years because before there was a kind of stigma, somewhat attached to you know going into a bookie, which was a place where you imagined it was older men who come out of the pub and went because it was always a bookie yeah. beside the pub. Yeah. <laughs> we said the off-license of the pub. So it was kind of older yeah. men who hung around there all day. And that was the kind of view that I always had of bookie shops when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and, okay. and, may, and maybe that deterred younger people from wanting to go down that avenue of hanging out. Like, we don't see younger people generally hanging around bars the way older lads would have years ago. But the idea That's of true. online gambling made it so attractive. And now what's even more attractive for 14-year-olds, 13-year-olds... And yeah. I know this sounds, maybe I, I'm stretching it a bit here, but I see them playing, you know, these these games online. And I see it with my own stepdaughter and with others. And you buy a box, a loot box, as they call them, on PlayStation. Uh-huh. And you pay, you know, £10 for your loot box. Yeah. And you don't know what you're going to get. You could get something worth £2, or you could get something worth £20. And it's it's teaching them to gamble at a young age. I spent time with a man in prison that committed crimes to do that very thing alone to the tune of a quarter of a million. It's like, it's everywhere. It's mm. just absolutely everywhere today. Mm. And, you know, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm on my soapbox about it. No, no, I no. I, I, I'm on the soapbox beside you. I, I completely yeah. agree with you because it, it's detrimental to society and it's detrimental to it human is. beings and to their life. It is. And it's not just that it's detrimental to, you know, I mean, I, I need to be very clear here. I did some disgusting things to finance my gambling habit. I stole from people, I lied to people, I conned people, and I cheated. And I have no real excuse for that other than every penny of it. Every single penny of it always went straight over the counter of a betting shop. I never stole anything that wasn't done to fund a gambling addiction. That said, I'm not justifying anything that I did either. I have to accept responsibility for it, and I do. And I'm 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 trying my best now to to make up for for past for past sins and things like that. Mm, yeah. Um. I pay I paid a heavy price for it, but I deserve to pay that price. But that's what gambling did to me. You know, my my whole point about all of this is that without a gambling addiction, I wouldn't have committed those crimes. And yeah. you know, on, all I'm trying to do is create a bit of awareness, because this what happened to me can happen to anybody. Yeah. You know, no matter who you are, you might think you're bulletproof, you might think you're smart, you might, it doesn't matter. If you get caught by a gambling addiction, you're in trouble. And I mean, you're in big trouble. Yeah. And I really wouldn't wish it. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Pat, it's been very interesting talking to you, and I'm glad you have your life back together. And I'm happy to see, by the way, that you're using your bad luck and your misfortune in life to... I suppose, talk to others and help others and to try and solve some of these problems so others going forward don't make the same mistakes that you made in your life. Um, and okay. it's been really nice. And the book is called uh, 100 to 1, 
and it tells the story of your life and everything in it and some of the stuff that we discussed tonight, but obviously in a lot more detail. Somebody, by the way, texted and said John Gilligan spent a million quid while he was in jail uh, on gambling. I know he was a gambler. I don't know if he spent a million quid while he was in jail, but that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but I know he, he was a heavy gambler as well, apart from anything else, apart from all the other things he did yeah. in life. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Pat. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. And the book, again, is called 100 to 1. I'm assuming they can get that on Amazon or all the usual places. Yeah, you can indeed. Pat. All good bookshops. Thank you very much indeed. Pat Sheedy, I appreciate you talking to us tonight. What well, a, well, thank you. What an interesting story. 100 to 1, by the way, is the name of the book, if you want to get it. And, uh, well, you can see the pun, obviously, 100 to 1. That would be the, the ultimate win, wouldn't it, if you were gambling? I can see the pun intended in the book, but 100 to 1 chance of ending up the way you end up as well. Because remember, there is nothing good about gambling. There really isn't. And I know people say you can be a responsible gambler. And Pat said to some degree, maybe you can be a responsible gambler. It's like you can be a responsible social smoker. You can be a responsible social drinker. You can be a responsible social everything. But for a lot of people, it doesn't end there. There is the dream, isn't there? The dream of being that person that will, you know, put the 50 quid on the the multiplier that day and come out with, you know, 60 grand. That's the dream, isn't it? Or to buy one lottery ticket and win the Euro Millions. That's the dream, isn't it? And if you only buy one lottery ticket once a week, sure, it's no harm. They say you're not in, you can't win. You know what I mean? And it gives you an opportunity to be in with everybody else to win that jackpot of 100 million. But the problem starts when the dream becomes more than just a one lottery ticket. It's every day, every night. It's 30 quid each time. Before you know it, you have 100 quid a week going on it. That's where the problem starts. The same with the horse racing. You go in, you don't win on that horse, you'll try again. Or you do win, you win a 1,000 euro, but you spend it all back the following day thinking you're going to win 10,000 euro. Anyway. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.